Hey everybody, this is your friend, your good friend, Ray Renati. That's right, how you doing today? I'm glad you stopped by my, my little space on the various interwebs. Here I am in San Francisco, California, as you can see out the window. And uh, tomorrow, tomorrow is, uh, we'll find out who's president. Well, maybe, right? Today's election day. Election day is today. Um, man, this is scary. I mean, this is uh, the future of our country here. What's going on? Oh, you hear that? The internet is calling. Hold on a moment. I'll be right back. One moment. Okay, I'm back. The internet was calling me, and um, I said, "Howdy, internet!" And then, uh, and then I said, "I gotta go. I'm busy." But anyway, I'm using this program called OBS to record this in. That's why I'm able to have my. Uh, where is it? There it is. My. Uh, my logo over there. <laughs> Yeah, turn out the lights, the party's over, they say that all good things must end. That's going to be the theme song tonight at Trump's, at Trump's um, party celebrating his loss of the presidency. But, you know, even if he loses, he's not going to give up. He's going to have his attorneys say, uh, you know, say it's Ohio and Pennsylvania that barely went to Biden. He'll say there was some kind of voter fraud, and then he'll uh, he'll send it to, to the Supreme Court. Oh, God, the Internet is calling again. Bye, Internet. Uh, yeah, and so um, that'll go on for months, and, the, and then it'll come to Inauguration Day, and then we'll, we'll find out. I mean, who knows if we'll even leave, right? You know what I would love is if, if the Army or the National Guard or something came in and had to like escort him out of the White House and then Milani in tears and little poor little Baron. That would be so cool, wouldn't it? Oh, God, I would love that. But we need to get this guy out because um, if we don't, it means that for many, many years into the future, we're going to have some big problems, especially with the environment. Yeah, and that means my kids are going to suffer. And everyone's kids who are like millennials and younger are going to have a screwed situation. So this a-hole needs to go. This a-hole needs to go. This a-hole needs to go. Hi-ho the Mario. This a-hole needs to go. Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. But today we have a very special show for you. I have a, a guy who I've known for like 15 years. Um, he is a well-known comedian. He is a magnificent singer and actor. He's done all kinds of musical theater. Uh, right now his main thing is, is the comedy. He's also been on many TV shows. He has just written a new book called The Art of Being Yay, which was number one on Amazon for a week or two or more, I think. That's right. His name, folks, is Aiden Park. Aiden Park. Check him out. Go to YouTube. Check it out. Go uh, look at his some of his uh, his comedy routines. He's a very, very funny man. And he's so full of charisma. And he's one of these people, when, they, when they're in the room, you're just like, damn, this guy, this guy is something else. <laughs> 
Yeah, he's got he's got charisma up the yin yang. He's originally from uh, Korea. Moved here when he was a boy. Grew up uh, poor in San Francisco, and um, but now he's a very successful uh, performer, and, and he also is uh, involved in some other self-help things like neuro-linguistic programming, and you'll hear about that. But the main thing is his new book, The Art of Being Yay, which I have started reading. It's very entertaining. And uh, I highly recommend that you read it, too. He's a very uh, fun guy. Now, I was saying he's very charismatic. He's one of these guys, when he, when, you enter the, when he enters the room, when let me see if I can talk. When he enters the room, you know it. You feel it. You know something's changed. There's a new vibration. He's got tons of energy. He's one of those rare people that just being around him makes you feel good, you know? Just if he's within arm's reach or 20 feet away. What is it that some people have that? He definitely has it. I can tell you that for sure. I can tell you that for sure. And it's, um, it's a rare thing. It's a rare thing. But I notice it's really common with the people I know who've done really well in Hollywood and, and things like that. They kind of have, they often have that, uh, that vibe it's an extreme positivity or something, or a, an extreme optimism filled with energy, looking toward the future and all the great stuff that's going to happen. So that's what Aiden's like. And we need that right now, don't we? Because right now we are in the middle of this screwed up situation with the virus and the election and this insane human being as president where millions of people are still voting for him. And that, folks, that is something that I don't understand. I watched Fox News the other night, last night, uh, and I, I can see where if you watch that all the time, especially the Laura Ingrams and the Tucker Carlsons and these people, that you would... You could possibly believe that Trump is wonderful and the Democrats are evil devils from hell, all the QAnon things. Um, but you still have to choose to watch it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And QAnon, talk about crazy. So all of these people, these middle-aged people, like my age and older, actually believe, including, I think maybe my parents, that... Um, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and uh, and a bunch of movie stars and stuff, which is hilarious because that's bullshit, um, are in this cult of people who participate in pedophilia and then kill the kids and drink their blood. They believe this. They truly believe it. And there are millions of people who believe this. Millions. People in my family, I think. It's crazy. It's crazy. I don't know. What is going on? What is going on? I don't know. We need hope. We need to save this country. We need the orangutan out. We need Joe Biden, the old dude, in for a few years. And then hopefully somebody like Kamala Harris or Bernie, who's too old, but... Uh, 
uh, and the AOCs and all those people need to take over the Democratic Party, and um, we need to move this country forward, not backward. People are afraid of change. They're bigots because they're afraid of gays. They're afraid of blacks. The blacks, like Trump says, they're afraid of uh, browns, yellows, anybody without skin of the shade. That's got to change. All right, well, by this time tomorrow, we'll know um, sort of who's president, maybe. But Trump, if Trump doesn't win, which I don't think he's going to do, um, and the reason I don't think he's going to win is not only the polls. There's this president. There's this uh, college professor. I can't remember his name. Just Google a college professor who predicts presidential elections. Um, since the since like 1980 or something, he's put, he's predicted every election, and uh, and he doesn't. It doesn't even matter what the polls are. It's just based on 13 criteria. Uh, only two of which depend, I believe, on the person, him or herself. And he predicts that Biden will win. So I'm going with that because the guy is the best track record of anyone. Um, but even though Biden may win, that doesn't mean he's going to win. I'm going to move my green room. Look at that. Woo! Isn't that amazing? I hope it's in the picture. Uh, oh, I just covered the Transamerica building. That's okay. Yeah, that doesn't mean he's going to win for sure because Trump's going to contest it. And with the Supreme Court packed, who the hell knows what's going to happen? Like, it could come down to Ohio and Pennsylvania, perhaps. And um, and maybe he'll contest them, saying that there was voter fraud with the mail-in ballots. He'll somehow get it sent into the Supreme Court being that they're all, uh, you know, the majority of uh, ultra-conservatives now, they'll probably give it to him, and then he'll be president again. <laughs> oh, God. Please, no. And I, I don't mean to be laughing, because to me it's a serious issue. I think that this world will be in big trouble if he, if he becomes president for the next four years. And uh, we may move to France if that happens. In fact, we probably will. I don't want to be here anymore. I, I can't handle another four years like this. I need to be in France like living in the countryside, drinking my pastis at night, going to Mame Moul's restaurant, and playing some boule in the afternoon. Yeah. Riding my bike in the countryside and um, having a life. Yeah. Anyway, enough of that for right now, because I want to get you to my guest Aiden Park. Now, if you're watching the video of this, um, you're going to see that I completely screwed up the Zoom. And for most of this, you're only going to see Aiden with my voice, a disembodied voice coming in, talking to him. But if you're just listening uh, on the podcast, that's not going to matter, right? Because you don't see it. But if you're uh, if you're watching it on YouTube, all you're going to see most of the time is Aiden, which is probably good. I mean, who wants to look at this? Anyway, uh... Enough of that, and let's go to it, my dear friends. And without any further ado, Aiden Park. No, but I'm in LA now. Yeah, you're in LA. Cool. All right. So, so like, are you in LA proper, Orange County, or what? Yeah, I'm in downtown LA. Oh, downtown LA. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
Mm-hmm. Is that your window right there? Your downtown LA window? <laughs> Out there? Yeah. yeah. I see it. <laughs> cool, man. Uh, I can see the Hollywood sign from my window. Oh, really? Yeah. There's no smog. There's a palm tree. Very nice. <laughs> right on. I got some weird light going on in my face here, but you know what? What side is that? Oh, this side. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a little better. Yeah. Um, so, so you wrote a book. Yeah. Wrote a book. Mm-hmm. That's that's how uh, that's how we 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 got in touch again. Uh, yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah. I saw your email about the book, and uh, I have it here on my on my Kindle. Oh, you actually got it! Yay! Yeah. And I started reading yeah. it. I started reading it. I, I haven't finished oh, yeah, how it. How did you get? Did just like just like the first twenty pages. <laughs> Oh, okay, okay. I feel kind of bad about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm really, I, I really like, I love it. I, I got to keep going, but uh, yeah. Full confession, oh. man. Oh yeah. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, I just lay it all out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was watching um, some of your comedy video videos this morning on YouTube. Oh, thank you. Woo woo. <laughs> I was dying. <laughs> Hey, I, lo- I appreciate it. I haven't seen you in how long? When was the last time I saw you? Uh, Bobby's at Bobby's class, I think. Crazy. I think you were like just sitting in and um, we didn't really talk. I mean, the only time I really talked to you much was with the Guggenheim people. The Guggenheim. What did we do with the Guggenheim? Well, you did their, sh- you did their, uh, like their Christmas shows and all yeah, those. Sugar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Meshuggah Christmas, which I oh, saw. That cool. was really funny. Um, and and you worked with the Googies, right? What? You worked with the Googies too, right? Yeah, yeah. The Googies. I love it. Uh, yeah, I was in um, the game show show. Oh, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Thanks, 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 thanks for playing. Yeah, uh, so I took... Uh, Susan was in that. Susan was in that, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And um, I took, uh, what's his name's place? Um, oh, my gosh, the tall, tall, tall guy. Uh, uh, I forgot his name. The tall, tall guy. Tall, tall actor lives in San Jose. <laughs> used to be, a, used to be a, a theater reviewer. I'll think of it in a minute. Yeah, um, that was fun. Yeah. yeah. The Googies. Are they like, the are, they, are they actual... Are are they related to the Guggenheims? I've never asked them. Yeah, yeah, they are. Oh, okay. They're like cousins I think, or something. I think I think I'm pretty sure they are. I'm pretty. I think they said something like that, but I I, I don't want to get it wrong. I no, I think they probably that. are. I think they probably are. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't I don't know anybody else with that name. I was when I first heard yeah. it, I was like, whoa, the Guggenheims, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I so miss, I miss the Bay Area theater a lot. Yeah, well, there's nothing now, of course, except people doing Zoom shows. Yeah, the 42nd Street Moon. Yeah. Doing something, I saw. And then Shakespeare, SF Shakespeare, is doing, like, theater on virtual, I think, right? Yes, they did did Lear. Um, Oh, and it was Jackson Davis. That's that's whose place I took in the game show show. Um, Yeah. Is he black? No, <laughs> sounds like oh, it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'm racist. Whatever. 
I love your I love your I love your bit about I want somebody named Jackson who's black who's tall. That's why. <laughs> I love your bit about uh, you're not gonna go home gay, but you're gonna go home. But you're gonna go home Asian. I love that. Yeah, you're gonna go home Asian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're gonna good. have this insatiable desire to drive twenty below the speed limit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the other one that the one that killed me was the one that really killed me was Brian Adams. In the song. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see your, my unborn children in your eyes. Or uh-huh. He has, a, he has a lyric. I, I you know. know. Says like, you know, you really love a woman when you see your unborn children in her eyes. <laughs> I thought, yo, Brian, if you see your unborn children in her eyes, you have to improve your aim. Yeah, I love that. That's a great joke. Because she didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> the topper so um yeah so tell them tell me about the book what like what in, what's it about and how did you get inspired to write it okay um so let's see how do i how do i tie it all in okay and the so title i've been studying empowerment for years like the <laughs> you know I, i'm a big nlp person neuro-linguistic programming oh okay um i started that because do you remember richard nicole yeah Okay, so he was my voice teacher. And people don't know this, but this is kind of what happened. My friend Omi Fernandez was a good friend of mine. And uh, we met doing the American Musical Theater Conservatory uh, when that was open uh, with Mark Jacobs, right? Yeah. Um, And uh, I had met her there. So right before that, what what happened was um, I, um, I was an undocumented immigrant. And so I uh, couldn't, I got into a bunch of colleges and I couldn't go. Um, also, I was very, very poor. I was, um, I grew up in, you know, my grandmother's government housing um, in San Francisco above a Burger King. <laughs> and I wasn't allowed to be there, um, like poverty, like $600 a month. That's what I, we had to live on. Like, um, yeah. and so... I got to the American Conservatory Theater partially on scholarship and my school did like a fundraiser for me to be able to go actually. Mm-hmm. So I went and I met Omi. And at that point I realized like, okay, like I'm undocumented. I can't get a job. I can't go to school. I felt kind of at a loss. And so I was actually like, um, I, I went, um, I was a prostitute for a minute. Because I was like a Craigslist hooker. Yeah, <laughs> right? I read that in your book. Yeah. 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 It's kind of intense because it's like, okay, like what else am I? Well, <laughs> my thought was, well, I'm giving it away for free. May as well get paid for it. <laughs> hey, that's what, that's what everybody says who gets into the biz, right? Yeah. And also I was like, kind of like, I didn't have the greatest parenting. I lived alone with my grandmother. My grandmother, um, very Korean. And so not around a lot and my mom and i don't know my dad and my mom was on the other side of the country um dealing with something else and so i was kind of like i, I didn't really have parenting growing up yeah and so i wasn't the most stable person i would say um yeah. i had a kind of rough, rough 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 and tumble kind of person i could sing but that was about it like literally <laughs> and yeah. so um i met my friend omi there and um, after a little while of living that lifestyle, I was diagnosed with HIV um, when I was like uh, 19. I had just turned 19. Oh, man. And I told Omi Fernandez, 
Yeah. And she she went to Richard and I guess during one of her voice lessons just broke down crying like I can't believe that like who am I to deserve this this um you know like these lessons and I feel so privileged and I feel like my friend doesn't have anything and I feel so bad I guess she like spilled her guts to him. Yeah. At which point Richard was like bring him in I'll give him a scholarship. Oh okay. And so he brought me in and he gave me the vocal intensives um, that he would do um, at no cost. And that was like for a year. Um, I still paid for the privates, um, uh, but he um, really took me under his wing and helped me out. And that's where I met. That's how I got into the theater Bay area scene. Cause I, you know, I didn't know anybody. I didn't, I, you know, so yeah. I felt um, very lucky to have been connected that way. Yeah. Um, and so then he sent me to this thing called Liberty Experience, which is like an empowerment. Um, it, it's, it's very much like Landmark. Do you know Landmark Forum? Yes. I, I, I did that so, with Mindy. I went, on, I went on one of the weekend things. Yeah, Mindy. Mindy was like around when I was there with Omi. And um, yeah. it was me and Mindy and Adam Lau. And, you know, the, the Richard Nicole kids. That was a Richard yeah, Nicole yeah, kid. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> like, like the second wave, I think. Yeah, the second one, there was, there was the Irwin Irby, there was the Noah Hayden, and then there was me yeah. and Mindy and Omi and, you know, us, like yeah. Matt Doyle. Like after there. he stopped working, uh, performing. There I'm was sorry? Like, after he stopped performing, you know, touring and stuff, he started teaching and then there was like, you know, the one wave and, of people and then, then you guys were the next wave, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think Tammy DeBurra was in the first wave also. She's so talented. She's yeah, so crazy. yeah. Um, so we did that, and then um, he sent me to this workshop, and it changed my life. I really had no parenting. I like to. It was. I got a tax like when I was twenty. I got a tax form in the mail after getting my first job at Starbucks after I got documented. Yeah, and. I didn't know what it was. Like, it was like that level. I didn't like, no one taught me about taxes. <laughs> I, I didn't know anything. Taxes, I didn't know that you have to be insured to drive a car. Like, no one told me that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I went to that and then um, I studied, um, I st- got real into empowerment for many, 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 many years. And uh, so that's kind of what the book's about. Okay. Then, then shit really hit the fan a couple of years ago when my partner passed away. Oh. Um, and that's where things kind of, I was like, okay. You know, and so I wrote a book about it. I see. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't know that. Um, that's, that's sad. I, uh, huh. Wow. Um, so you've been through a lot for a young guy. Oh, I guess. <laughs> That's what people say. It's just life, so I'm like, whatever. Yeah. So, so that's great that you have that attitude because a lot of people, um, you know, they'll have those difficulties and it'll keep they'll they'll stay down. You know, like like what's your, what's the secret to you? What's the secret to to not letting it bring you down but making you stronger? Well, the first round of that was um, like you know the empowerment work that I was. I was, um, you know, referred to by Richard yeah. and Omi and all those guys. Yeah. Um, really kind of made me like take responsibility for everything that had happened up to that point and gave me hope and optimism and, you know, encouraged empowerment moving forward. Yeah. Then when you lose your husband, 
all of that just goes out the window. Right, right. God, um, I'm so sorry, Aiden. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah, that was that was a gnarly. That was that was the impetus that that really made me write the book because once I lost him, um, I tried to apply those empowerment tools first to like, okay, like how do I do this? How do I? Th- there was nothing. There was it. Could, it was unfixable. It was like you can't. It was undoable. You have in to the, grieve. In the way that I've done it. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Uh, then you have to think about. Then you reach a point of desperation where you're willing to try anything, and the goal before Michael's death was always, all right, get the next show, get the next tour, get. And you know me, like I, w- I was active in the Bay Area scene, and I'm a very, I'm known as a very driven person. I'm very driven. I'm always doing something, right? Like right. Always, I was in everything. Yeah. And it was as a result of like, okay, work hard, be empowered, da 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 and always trying to go and get career goals and money or whatever. But when Michael died, I shift, I had to shift my focus of desired result to an emotional result because I was desperate. I was like, I was like, I'm going to die if I don't feel better. Your goal has to be to to fix, to to take care of yourself rather than to like get the next TV commercial or sitcom or something. Yeah. And the, and the weird thing in, 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 in the world is like, you think that you get that and then you'll be taken care of. So right. go after that thing. But when you are in such a place, it's just like, forget all of that. How do I short circuit or, or, or shortcut this? Because I can't live like this. Yeah. I can't. And so yeah. I started actually using the tools that I learned over the years um, in empowerment for an emotional result rather than um, tangible. So like I was going for like, how do I get happier? How do I set my mind up so I can be more at ease, more at peace? How do I, with this happening, make myself feel better? And so once I started doing that, my happiness levels went up happier than when Michael was actually alive, surprisingly, within a few months. And I was like, wow, interesting. That's amazing. And then people noticed. Yeah. So then my mentor, who teaches the business department at Pepperdine, she was like, what are you doing? So she referred me to a book coach to talk about maybe doing, writing an article. And she was like, you have to write a book about this. I'm giving you a scholarship to my program. You do. Like, I'm basically here because of kindness of other people. Richard, Omi, Enet, Tessa, like people just offer me stuff. And I don't know why. They just like, are so nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so I'm like, okay, I'll write a book, I guess. And so that's kind of how it happened. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. like, I'm going to write a book. It was like, okay, well, you know. Yeah. Interest- that's great. Well, I think, th- I think that people are attracted to you because you have so much positive energy and, you, you know, you, people want to be around people like that, you know. I mean, that's, oh, that's, that's I my feeling. Funny, I think that's what, that comes from, an empower- like happiness comes from, so I started, started researching happiness, right? Like what makes a happy person, right? You got to be happy with where you are and who you are. And you got to be excited for more, mm-hmm. right? You got to be eager for more, optimistic for more. So you got to be empowered for the future and satisfied with the now. If you have those two things, you're done. That's it. 
I was just reading an article about that yesterday. They were saying the people that are the happiest are the ones who can be super in the now, but also be very uh, like uh, assertive and wanting to, to go further. And it's like the people who can yeah. do both those things, who have both those traits, like people who have those traits naturally are naturally happy, but they say you can work on it and become and be and acquire those things for yourself if you don't if you don't have them naturally, you know. You can work on learning Ooh, how to be in the present and still being, you know, wanting more, you know, wanting to go further. Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading an article about that. It, it's, it's all patterning. It's like, um, you know, I studied neurolinguistic. I'm a master practitioner at neurolinguistic programming. Ah, so cool. from the, yeah. <laughs> so from the empowerment work that I did over those years, yeah, I like got that for myself. I didn't want anybody to know what I was doing, but it makes you hyper effective like like it makes you very very effective so i was like running like four comedy shows I, a month i was do i had a show at laugh factory and improv and flappers and i was headlining comedian and i was doing commercials and i was and people are like well how did you and i'm like i don't know but i know it's nlp it's neurolinguistic programming yeah so you live life and then you run into oh mental block oh limited thinking what is that identify and then you retrain your brain to think in a different way as it relates to that topic so that you free yourself of that baggage and you move forward quicker i see i don't yeah. know a lot about I love it, it but i want i want yeah. i want to find out more <laughs> oh yeah for sure it's great it's the best thing any topic any topic i started it's not coaching just like people on it and it's not just like so affirmations, is it? It's just not, it's not like, it's not just positive affirmations, right? It's more than that. The thing about affirmations, it, yeah. I don't like affirmations. Yeah. Because affirmations is like, okay, so if you say like, like you say you want to get a role in, I don't know, Broadway. Yeah. But you don't think you're talented. But people are like, you should think you're talented in order to get the role. So you sit there, not you. I'm, I'm just saying. No, yeah, right. Role. I get it. Yeah. No, they tell you to sit there and go write it on a piece of card and go, I'm talented. And then yeah. you go, I'm talented. I'm talented. I'm talented. I'm talented. But <laughs> right. you don't believe you're talented. Yeah. And so now you feel like you're untalented and a liar and delusional. So you can't make that jump. It's too big of a jump. You can't go from I'm untalented to talented yeah. in overnight by saying a few things. You're mm -hmm. going to, you're going to make yourself miserable. So that's not, I don't think, I don't like that technique because I think it also makes the person wrong for being where they're at. If you're trying to get to New York and you're in Fresno, you can't be like, I shouldn't be in Fresno. I should be in New York, New York, New York. That's not going to get you to New York. You have to be like, I'm in Fresno. What road do I have to take to get to New York? You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? yeah, yeah. I'm very passionate about this. <laughs> you can't beam yourself to New York <laughs> yet. Yeah. No, no, you can't, but you can incrementally work up. Yeah. So if you think you're untalented, mm. right? No. You could go, well, what I advocate, and I say this in the book, I, I talk about this in chapter of, so the book is basically using my life story as an example of how you can reframe your own mind to move in the direction you want, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't go from I'm untalented to talented, but you can give yourself a new thought with two, two important criteria. One that cannot be refuted, and two, um, it has to uh, make you feel better than it is. So like, I'm untalented. You can't go to I'm talented, but you can go to 
I'm untalented. Some people think I'm talented. That is oh. an irrefutable truth. Oh, I see. Right. 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 Yeah. And then you go, that does make you feel better. It's irrefutable. And then you provide evidence for that mm -hmm. five minutes a day. You sit down that new belief, write down all the people. And then pretty soon there's this part of your brain called the reticular activating system. Yeah. Which looks for evidence of that, which you want to hold as your truth. So that's why when you get a Honda, all you see are Hondas on the road. Yes. Because all of a sudden it's relevant information to you. Right. So you want to go from some people think I'm talented, write all the people. And then pretty soon your brain goes, ah, oh, like theater works hired me for that important gig. And this hired me for that gig. And I did this and this person believed in me. And oh yeah. And that, that, that. And pretty soon, if you do that for a couple of days, you're going to walk around and guess what you're going to notice people who believe you're talented. And ah. so, yeah. And your brain kicks in and it becomes a self-generating momentum. I see. Just like the car. Then you put it again. Yeah. Then you go, lots of people think I'm talented from some people think I'm talented to lots of people. Then so you, you click up to. So, so you may have been thinking I'm untalented and then all you're doing is finding evidence to show that you are more untalented. So if you can get, yeah. get yourself to think, well, some people think I'm talented and then you'll start noticing, oh yeah, there's another person that thinks I'm talented. There's another. But you have to evidence it first oh, okay. because there's momentum going. So everything's momentum, right? Yeah. So if you have, if you think you're untalented, the, the reticular activation system in your brain, literally there's a part of your brain that looks for evidence of that which you believe. So if you already think you're untalented, the reticular activating system is looking for evidence for this. So there's a lot of momentum going here. On the untalented, So when you think, yeah. some people think I'm talented, you have to override the reticular activating system. And at first, you have to be the one to pull the chain to generate the momentum consciously. Until it's like engine, you know, like when you like pull at first and it goes and then it goes, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It won't go on its own. You have to, if you're changing a, a if you're starting a car, I have to go, yeah. right? Like so the old lawnmowers that you had to pull the chain on. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're not a car, but yeah, I don't know. I don't, you know, I'm not a mechanic, but you know. Well, I mean. you used to have this lawnmower. There was, a, you know, gas powered. You had to like pull it, and then we go, and you do it again, and then eventually it would start up, and then it would go, you know. Yeah, and then it goes, and yeah. then and then you can you're free. Yeah. Because your brain will look for that. So you do that with every belief that you hold that's in your way. I'm not attractive. Does that serve you in dating? No. I'm not good enough. Is that serving? No, I'm not funny. Is that going to serve me being a comic? No, I'll never make it. Asian, even, even things like Asian people are, are, uh, have a real Asian people can't make it in show business or whatever belief you hold that, yeah. that creates your reality. Right. What about beliefs That's about yourself from like, uh, like if you've had traumatic past or something, like how do you get past that? Well, this is so I, I, I say this in my book. It's it, so, mm -hmm. you know, when I got HIV, I had a very specific incident that happened. Yeah. When I got HIV uh, as, a, as a teenager, right? <laughs> Undocumented teenager with HIV. Imagine that. It's like crazy. So I was like, I'm going to die alone. I'm totally going to die alone. I'm going to yeah. die alone. 
That's what I thought. Yeah, right. I went to see this therapist, and the therapist was like, you know, Aiden, you could die alone. But also, I'd, I have personal friends, including the people down the hall from here, who are HIV positive, and they have great lives. That one drives, you know, just got his car, and that one just had celebrated 20 years with his boyfriend. And so you could also have a good life. So for me to go, I'm going to die from I'm going to die alone to I'm going to have a great life, too much of a jump. Yeah. But I could go, I'm going to die alone to I could die alone or there are some people who have great lives with HIV. I see. Right? Yeah. So when you have that, then you start listing the evidence for that. The guy down the hall, you type in Google. Google works the same way. Google will give you search results for whatever you put in. Right. You put in lonely people with HIV, you get lonely people with HIV. You get successful people with HIV, you get successful people. So when you put that in, you actively evidenced it. And that's what I did. I evidenced it until it became my normal state. I could have a good life with HIV. It's going. I see. Cool. And then I, I went it. to HIV doesn't have to have a bearing on the quality of my life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So for traumatic events. Oh, but, but as far as <laughs> there was another technique that I use with Michael um, with losing him, because with something like that, it's like, you have to be real clinical. Like I'm real clinical, right? Neurolinguistic programming is not, it's very clinical analysis. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, we all want what we want because we think we feel better in the having of it. Honestly, we want that job because we think that's going to make us feel more secure in our abilities, maybe, or we might want to make more money because we think that'll provide, you know, a sense of power. I don't know, whatever it is. Right. I asked myself every time I was upset about Michael, if Michael were here right now, what is it that he would give me that I don't think I could give to myself right now? And the answers were different. Sometimes it was like, cause like I would miss Michael. I'd be like, I miss you, Michael. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. Why? If Michael were here, what emotional state could he provide me? So I went, Sometimes it's security or comfort. Okay. So if it's security and comfort, let's find ways to give me security and comfort. Because Michael can't come back from the dead. That's over. How do I give myself that, those emotional states I'm longing for, despite this situation that can't change? So you have to be an act, you have to be involved actively in your emotional care. You do that enough, you start, it becomes automatic, right? Yeah. What am I missing? Right. Which doesn't mean that it works all the time. And it doesn't mean that I don't miss Michael. I miss Michael terribly. I would, I have this book, I have all of this. I would give it all back just to have Michael back. Like, right. I don't care. No, I, I, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Thanks for letting me talk. I, I rant. I get like, excited. I love it. I love it. You know, like I'll, I'll be, I, I don't want to talk about this too long because we're talking to you, but like uh, about five years ago, I had three head injuries in a year. For, well, first, I martial arts and I got assaulted. Then I got um, 
then I got in a car accident and then I had been prescri uh, prescribed that, you know, who Jordan Peterson is. The no. actor. No, no. He's like a, he's like a professor in, a, uh, in Canada and he also, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the self-help guy. Yeah. 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 So, um, he was misprescribed uh, this clonopin like I was, but I had, I'd been taking it for 18 years because I couldn't sleep or something. And I got addicted to it, not addicted. I was dependent on it. And then the doctor told me I had to get off and it's, it was like three years of hell. And um, I've been left with like all of this shit, you know, like from years ago that I hadn't, that I thought I dealt with. Um, that's very traumatic. So I'm really interested in this because I've, I've been trying to figure out how to, how to get past it. Cause once I got off that drug, it had done so much damage to me, to my, my pathways or something. I don't know how else to explain it. It was like, I, I regressed like 30 years. Well, I mean, okay. So if, if we can talk about this after. Yeah. Or, yeah. That's fine. I just wanted to wanted tell to, you that's why I find it so interesting. Yeah. I don't know how open you want to be with your listeners. Right? No, it's fine. I've told, I've already done a whole episode on this. So it's cool. Okay, so then, yeah. so then let's try this, like, right. so, because this is interesting, right? So, yeah. like, what what is the main? Because you're saying there's some things that are bugging you, but what what is the main thing that's that's bothering? The main you? thing. What, what is, uh, I had a lot of trauma as a kid. Uh, there was a lot of violence in my house and physical and emotional violence. Yeah, and and I feel like it's like it haunts me you know it's like it just doesn't go away the memories flashbacks then it affects like how i feel about myself now and it comes and goes but i had dealt with it and, it and i was doing well with it until this i got off this med uh that had taken for so many years and once i was off of it i'm also having insomnia problems um it's like i went back like 30 years like all the all the all the therapy i've had like sort of disappeared you know and and I've been and I've, I've felt like I did you know thirty years ago around it before I knew how to deal with it. Have you can can I ask you a question? Yeah. On, around around this around this issue and and please you know we can it's edit cool. any any of this out whatever. Yeah. So like. So. Okay, so I'll use me as an example. Okay. okay. Um, I had trauma around my chi my childhood. Um, yeah. Uh, a lot of gaslighting actually yeah. for me. Um, it was like parents being like, I'm just a simple example. Let's go to Disneyland on, on Saturday. Yay. Disneyland Saturday. Looking forward to Disneyland. Looking forward to Disneyland. Saturday comes. Yay. We're going to Disneyland. No, we're not. Oh, geez. We didn't, we didn't say that. Yes, I, yes, you did. No, you didn't. No, 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 we didn't. Yes, we did. You're so ungrateful. Why do you have to do, you're so, you know what? That's it. I'm done. I'm leaving. So they would like, oh. yeah. uh, parental figures would leave me alone <laughs> wherever I was outside and it didn't matter and essentially blame me for pointing out. And then I would have to be like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Apologize for something that I didn't. I was just right. So yeah. swallow and so believe what I'm told instead of what I know. Right. Right. That's destabilizing. 
It drives you nuts. So essentially, that has a, a um, an emotional flavor, like an emotional signature that it leaves on your body, actually. Exactly. So yeah. When you have a thought, it, yeah, like it's like, it's if like you creepy. think about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you think about each of those events, if you, this is an NLP technique. Okay. So if I think about that event, I'm like, if I had to feel that emotion that I felt at that time, where would it be? Right here. What color is it? Red. It's circular and, it's, and you start picturing what that is. Mm-hmm. As, as it's like a shape. I see. And you literally, in your imagination, take it on, go into it. It's counterintuitive because, especially for men, straight men, I think even have it worse. <laughs> you guys are like, you got to be struck. Yeah. Oh, you feel bad? Let's go drink. Let's go. Yeah. Or even when you're a kid, stop okay, crying. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. And that unfelt emotion is like a cut that's on your arm that people are like, you're not supposed to feel that. And so you wrap it in duct tape and it's infected. Yeah. But if you would cut it and let it have that light of day, it goes away. It, it heals. And then now when people touch here, it doesn't do anything. Right. But as long as there's an infection underneath the duct tape, anybody brushes up against it, it goes, ah! you know? So after, so at some point, the memory of it doesn't cause that feeling that you described so well that I think we both had of that gross, like, it's almost like a, you feel like, like there's like some kind of black fog in your brain for, even if it's just for a few seconds, it's just so horrible. You know, when you remember that. I think that taking about a half hour to 45 minutes to dive into, it doesn't take long. Yeah. Really. So if you're feeling... I don't know what specific event it is, but like, say like someone, you know, like there was some violence and you were. Yeah. Well, it's mostly memories of my mother, like beating the crap out of me, you know? Okay. And so most likely she beat you. Yeah. And then (laughs) the phone, most likely she beat you and then made you inappropriate for having the emotion that you had as, as it relates to the beating. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You would cry and be like, what are you crying about? Or don't feel that or whatever the fuck I'm guessing. And it also hurt like hell. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like it hurts so much. You like go out of you and disassociate. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's like, if you had to pick an emotion, Mm-hmm. that relates to that event, what would it be? Which, what, what would be the emotion that you would say? Uh, oh, God. It's like a rage that turns into self-loathing. Okay. So if we go with rage, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. If you had to place it somewhere in your body, if you had to feel, this requires some like kind of like. Yeah, yeah. If you had to. Feel that rage somewhere in your body. Where would you place it? Probably my chest. Right? Where yeah. Can you point it? Yeah, like right here. Okay. If you had to give it a color, what would it be? Red. Okay. And is, this, is it a shape? Is there a shape to it? Uh, yeah, it's like a really dense red ball. Like okay. a is lacrosse it moving ball. Moving around. Yeah. Okay, great. 
Now, that feeling right there, uh-huh. a good thing to do is take 30 minutes and go into it as to fully experience it. You know what's interesting is just doing that for, for uh, 15 seconds suddenly gave me this feeling of empowerment. It was weird. Yeah, that because you know what? It, the, the truth is, once you feel that, yeah. I don't know how, I don't know to what extent we all are, feel our feelings. It's like about like, um, and I, you know what? I, I don't know what your therapy was. So like, I can't speak on yeah. it. But like a lot of therapy is like um, mental exercise. Like this happened. So this happened and this is. Yeah. And you just, yeah. You go over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. This is a felt experience. Yeah. That's what you're feeling. So diving into it actually releases that pressure. You can't analyze this away. You have to feel it. Yeah. So that, so like just dropping yourself in and you know why it's also empowering. It's embracing that part of yourself. Right. So that in this society, if you have rage, I've been studying emotions for a long time. So this is how I'm like, (laughs) if you have rage, you're wrong. Like you're angry. You're wrong. You're wrong for being angry. So what we do is we disassociate. Like you said, we fragment. We go, and the angry part of myself, I'm not angry. I'm a nice person. But there is that part of you that is angry that is now disassociated. So owning that part of you and reintegrating is an act of love, is an act of empowerment. And how do you integrate? You feel it. You allow it and you welcome it back. Right. Yeah. Because that is, that's loneliness. Right. Right there. Right. Because no matter how much somebody loves you, there's a part of you that you're not accepting. And so that person only loves you for what you're showing. Right. Mm-hmm. You must integrate, not you. I'm just saying everybody. No, we I understand. Integrate all those parts of ourselves. And we do that by feeling. Yeah. Oh, I love this. I'm, I'm definitely going to be looking into this. Uh, it's, I mean, I was aware of it. And I think Susan, Susan we were talking about Susan. She's, she does this too, right? Something. I don't know. Oh, yes, yeah, she does. Yeah, she does. Yeah. She talked to me about it a long time ago. So you've been riding your bike, huh? Yeah! <laughs> oh. That's I what and you just learned how to ride a bike and now you ride your bike all the time? Oh, yeah. So three months ago, I started and then I was like, I have always wanted to be an outdoors person. <laughs> and uh, I was never very coordinated. And so yeah. I started riding my bike and was crashing into animals and such. And <laughs> now I felt so sufficient. Like, uh, you know, like I'm like, yeah, I'm able to ride, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so like if you're in downtown L.A., where do you go? Do you go like head up to the hills behind there or just ride downtown or? Yeah, I drive to the beach. Oh yeah, right. Drive. I drive to the mountains. That's yeah. a twenty-minute drive. I. Uh, I know people. You know, downtown LA is actually in a good spot for that because you got the mountains right behind you, right? And you got the beach right in front of you. Yeah. 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 LA is great for, for that. It's easier, in a way. It's easier than San Francisco because if you live in San Francisco, it's going to take you a while to get anywhere. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, you can't get there. For me, it's like, oh, freeway's like two minutes away. You hop on and you go anywhere. Especially now um, with COVID, there's not as much traffic anymore. 
Yeah. I mean, up here, I don't I like, know what it's like down there, but. Yeah. Is I miss the Bay Area, though. I miss the, I don't know what the Bay Area theater scene is like anymore. I mean, not, now that with COVID, everything shut down, but the last musical piece I did, I did Harold Hill at Berkeley Playhouse. Oh, okay. And that was the last one. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, there's, a, okay, so what's happening now is there's a lot with the, um, what is it? It's not Black Lives Matter. It's the, uh, the document saying that theater has been dominated by white men and yeah, people of color. <laughs> I forgot what it was called. I get, I got in trouble because I, I posted some, fo- you know, I'm a photographer and I posted these photos I had found from a theater company on Facebook. And there was, there were people of color in the group of photos, but they were in the back and they went on the front and Facebook and a woman a Latino woman like just started trashing me on my webpage. <laughs> it's gotten a little bit wow. ugly, ugly out here around that. Um, I feel bad for you. Uh, you really? <laughs> I have not. I have not posted on Facebook since then. That was like five months ago. <laughs> because just because I have white people, or because did you say something? I didn't say anything. I didn't even realize. I just liked the pictures. You know, they all oh, these are good pictures, and then. I can't remember. There was a document floating around and everybody in the Bay Area, all anybody of color could contribute to the document. And, and they were supposed to like talk about all the microaggressions that happened to them because they were people of color in the Bay Area theater. And, it, and it's like 60 pages long and it names names and it talks, says terrible things about reviewers and uh, artistic directors and stuff. And there's and it's I, I think it's horrible. I mean, I'll go out and just say that right now. I mean, maybe it's cathartic, but it was a public document. And there's, there's no, you know, it's like you're, it's like you're condemning people without a trial. It was just, um, and and the thing is, it's like me saying this is a problem. And if anybody hears this, I'm probably going to be like on certain people's blacklists, but I don't really care because at this point, no, I know I'm tired. Like you can't, that's the thing. That's what bothers me is like, this has been happening for a long time. Yeah. And if you have been leading with your internal compass of what's right and wrong, then you will see this. But right now it's the hip thing to do. So people are just signing on without actually exactly. evaluating. Yes, they just go with the, they go with the, with the, it's like, oh, if I don't go along with them, then I am not a sympathetic person. I am not, it, but that's not the issue to me. The issue is, is there's so many things. It's like, is it worth being putting yourself as a victim? How are you going to ever get power if you always say I'm the victim? And secondly, um, you're forcing people to go along with your point of view and not allowing people to have their own thoughts anymore. I mean, it's exactly going against what they're complaining about. Um, Cancel culture. What's that? It's the cancel culture. It's like you're canceled if you don't agree with the. Yeah, and, you know, it, I, I, this sounds so funny. This I'm going to probably lose people who are very upset too. But in every, let me, I'm going to I'm going to use Trump as an example, yeah. and then and then I'll relate back because I think people can hear it better when I use someone else. The reason why Trump won is because there's a a a a world of people who are very unhappy with the way their lives are going. I, I tour the country doing stand-up. So I've gone to like friggin' Kentucky and, you know, all these towns where everything is shut down. 
everything. They, there is poverty there that you would not, they cannot get gas to go to the town to get groceries. Like that level of poverty exists out there. Yes. Really, yes. truly. Oh, I know. And um, beyond what we could imagine here in the Bay at all. Like it's, it's really bad. Like, oh, wow. You know? Um, and then they turn on TV and then they see people saying, oh, why privilege this and that? Then those people are like, why prip? I can't. I, I live in a. I live in a trailer that has like a leaky roof. I don't know how we're gonna pay the heating bill for the winter, and I can't get food for my kids. And I'm. White. I don't know. And then I'm being villainized now for also being an asshole. Yeah. Right. So, and then they're making fun of me for being sick with toothless. I don't have dental care. I don't have food. You know. And so that becomes a, that person becomes an enemy. Here comes Trump and goes. You know who to blame? Mexicans. Yeah. People who are unhappy with their whatever circumstance they're in, when they're given someone to blame, blame feels better than powerless, right? Yeah. So Trump essentially helped them feel better from wherever they currently are. The, the emotional hierarchy is like disempowerment, the lowest powerlessness, disempowerment, yeah. then blame and anger, yeah. right? Yeah. Blame and anger is better than disempowered from an emotional standpoint when you're disempowered that's done so that's great that's how trump won because he inspired people out of their sad state into somewhat of a better there's de-energized negative and energized negative energized negative feeling the body is better for the body than dis de-energized same thing is happening with the Bay Area. Look, Bay Area theater scene is tough. There's a lot of people who don't get rolled all the time. There's a lot of people who are, are ignored largely. Right. Um, oh, some, people, some people just can't deliver. Like they can't carry a show. Like, you know, and it's not about race. It's just not able to like carry the show. Okay. Yeah, right. There's white people who can't carry the show. Let's right. be honest. Of like, course. Let's just, some people are just not up to stuff as far as ability. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So... If they're unhappy about the situation and no one's going to sit them down and go, you're not really like, you need to work on this and that. No one does that. They no. just go, oh, everything's great, mostly. Yeah. And so now we're in a situation where they have no, under, no reason why they are not getting the parts other than now there's here this wave that says racial injustice is fueled in the Bay Area and is keeping you down. What a great great thing for some people who are who feel disempowered who feel like they're not appreciated for what they have to offer who don't have an understanding to latch on to that and blame you guys no, i know what a, no, what I'm, a better not saying, I'm not saying there's no truth to what they're saying because I, no, I'm there is truth. absolutely but yeah. but but it's so exaggerated and and so uh it, when it becomes all-encompassing and saying that is the problem there is no other problem and that's wrong that's wrong because it's everything is always more complicated than that. I think there is truth to, I think there is that. I think there is micro. I think there is all of that. Yes, there is. Yeah. And, and it's become hip to sign uh, to say something about something that happened to them. So they could, where they could be like, Oh, like, well, that was like, Whatever, like this person made an Asian joke 20 years ago, no big deal, you know, whatever. They could take that now 
and bring it back at that person's expense and gain what? Retweets, likes, accolades, favor from casting, favor from community. That's what happened. At that person's expense that didn't really matter to them until now because now it all of a sudden matters. And it's so unfortunate for that person. And I, I find it, I find it gross, but, but there's also the real ones where it's like, Oh, like that actually happened to you. Like, wow. Do you know what I mean? Like, I do know what you mean. Mixed. But then the problem is when you don't know which is what, what is real and what isn't anymore. Like, uh, uh, when, when everybody feels like they can make their complaint, no matter what it was, and it's all in one document and it's not, mo- it's not, uh, no one oversees it. There's no fact checking and it's out there and everybody reads it. It just all becomes equal. And it did so much damage to, to the way people communicate around here. And that happened a few months ago. Um, and the white people in the community, actually, like I've known you for a long time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've known you for what? I've been in the theater scene for, since oh, I don't know, oh, 15, 10, so 15 years. 17 years. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 17 years. I'm a person of color. I'm a gay person. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't know, like, it, it is, it is like, you know, like t- Twitter, like when they put something out that's negative or fear driven, which right. by the way, politicians are doing and right. products are doing, what they want to do is they want you to buy into the fear of what might happen if the other party wins. So Trump is telling their supporters, if they win, you're going to be villainized forever. And Biden's going, oh, if Trump wins, then oh, we're going to be so far behind. It was so, it's going to be such a scary America. They want you to believe that. They want to drive fear and anxiety into you because that will drive you to give money. Fear and anxiety gets more results. And so, unfortunately, people who post about fear and anxiety driving things or things that create anger is going to get more results. You see what yeah. I'm saying? Yes, I do. And so on Twitter, on Facebook, that's what they put very rarely will you see people put out consistently positive stuff because we've been trained and conditioned (laughs) it's it's sometimes it's a little self-serving it's very upsetting to me this is very upsetting to me (laughs) it's sad i mean because uh you know and i get sucked into it and i just recently decided to stop watching the news but i was noticing i'm watching cnn all the time and it's not that they're lying on there but they're definitely trying to make you upset um and that way you'll keep watching CNN, which means you'll keep either, you know, paying for your cable service or watching the TV, the commercials. <laughs> and that's what they want. They want, they, they, it's all about the money. Um, and say, and so say with Fox or the people, other side. A hmm? hundred people can come out, say Ray Renati has treated me so kindly over so many years. Right. Yeah. One person can be like, he spoke to me in a condescending way, which maybe you, you could have in a, I, I speak to, I condescend people sometimes that I don't even know because right. I'm like too busy or I'm like not thinking or nobody can be free of condescend. Everybody condescends other people at some point. If you say, I never condescend people, you're a liar. That doesn't happen. Right. Like we, we tend to be, have angry outbursts sometimes. Sometimes in high pressure situations, we say things, blah, 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 you know, like, oh, you, you dirty chink, probably not. We don't say that, but we were like, you know, make it offhand a joke that doesn't land well. A hundred people can have no experiences 
right? And then one person can say, oh, I had this odd experience with Ray, and that'll get attention. Because why? The law of negative attention anxiety driving. And it yeah. puts people very, it allows people to make no mistakes or reposition themselves or it's just so upsetting. Like when Clinton, when they were like, oh, Clinton, you know, oh, made a, you know, don't ask, don't tell in 92. And that's actually really bad because they gave marriage legal or whatever. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, were you in 92? That was a really big move. Right. So it disempowers people from making big moves from wherever they're currently at. Because yeah. what if it comes back to you 30 years later and it gets like storied in a way that's going to harm you? So nobody take any risks. Nobody say anything. Nobody yeah. take any stand. Yeah. 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 Did I just rant? Did I rant? No, you didn't. No, you, you just froze for a, you froze for a second. So I was like, I was. So then I was like okay. waiting for you to come cool. back. No, no, I love it. I love it. I'm glad. I'm, it's so great to be able to talk about these things. Honestly, it gets me kind of riled up. <laughs> I have to do my. Are you still there? You look frozen. Uh oh. Hello. Oh yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, okay. okay. You just froze there for yeah. a second. It's good. It's good to get riled up. It means we have something to stand for. And it's not a personal thing. I'm not a white guy. And I'm not I have no reason to stand and also I think racial injustice is wrong also. It's not that at all. Please. You know, let's not do that. Oh, Aiden doesn't care about yeah, spin this into Aiden doesn't care about racial minorities please give me a freaking break you know what i mean but you gotta like kind of go with like what what feels right you know yeah i mean i am god i am i i i completely empathize and would and want to support anybody who any group of people that's put down in our society i mean i think it's it just sucks um you know and it's been it has been particularly bad for black people um and 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 also somebody who never we rarely talk about is American Indians, you know, Native Americans. Um, yeah. and, and I think it's horrible and we need to do something about it. So that, that's not what I'm saying. It's just that when, when, you, when you start villainizing one group of people like white men. <laughs> now, I happen to be a white man. I don't, I don't care. I'm just saying it's like it doesn't do anybody any good. If, if, if everything is, oh, it's all Can because of white men. Hmm? You'll get this. You'll get this right away. I think. I think. Uh, I think. I think this is where where the detriment comes in. I think. All right. I had a small business. I ran a small business, right? And where I have dealt with a bunch of employees. I had three employees who didn't turn in the money properly and ran off with the money, right? Mm -hmm. Three of them. One of them happened to be black. I had a racial uh, bias against black people because of the society um, uh, media yeah. you know, or whatever. And so I was like, I don't know that I should hire. This wasn't like, oh, it was 08 or nine. I was like, oh, should I hire black people again? Like, I'm not sure. Right. 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 But that was an unfair bias now. And I'm like, that's really unfair. Let's take a look at, at you know, the data and I'm able to come out and say exactly what happened. I was influenced by bias based on media and I bought into it and I was wrong and I'm correcting, right? Yeah. So people have to be able to make those kinds of moves safely. 
in order for us to move forward as a society. They can't do that if we go, racism is so fucked, that gives no room for people on this, on this side to admit their mistakes or admit that they did something or admit, maybe, Ray, you might have said something. Oh, I remember I called the black girl like, oh, well, you know, you should do the color purple. I don't know, some kind of joke that was funny in 06, you know? Yeah. If you come out and say that, I think that should be something that's like, Ray actually admitted that we all have biases. Ray actually admitted that he had a bias and he admitted something like that. So then like, he really is like trying to, we all are trying to move forward. But if you go, oh my God, how safe is it for people to come out and admit their biases openly? You can't, you can't talk it about it. For people? And the problem isn't people like me. Mm-mm. The problem is people in Kentucky, what are they going to do? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're already, the problem is those people need to be able to see it. But if we make a hostile environment for them, they're never going to do it. Right, right, right. You know, I remember years ago. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We, um, we have to we have to make an open environment where people can discuss things and talk about things without feeling like they're going to be put down or judged or told that they're prejudiced. <clears throat> I remember years ago once I, I was I, uh, I I flew to um, um, Arkansas, I think it was uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, and the from the airport to the company I was going to, I had this job. It was the most poverty that I'd ever seen in my life for like 45 minutes. Um, and all races, you know, living in the same neighborhoods. Um, that just really left a huge impression on me. Because like you say, you don't see that so much in California. Um, it was... Um, very well, nowadays, Stockton, Modesto, my God. Yeah, right. You see stories. Unbelievable. Yeah. Our connection got really it's bad. It's so bad out there. It's so You what? Our connection got really bad all of a sudden. Our connection oh, here okay. on the Zoom. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. It's just uh, you're breaking up sometimes, but it's fine. Yeah, you know, I'll just tell you a little story. I I was uh, about 10 years ago, I saw this play called The Mountaintop. I went to, I was going to school in London at Rada for the summer and uh the mountaintop. It was it was written by Katori Hall. She's kind of famous now. Um, and uh, I contacted her right after I saw the play. It was a play about Martin Luther King. It was a two-hander about Martin Luther King and uh, his maid in the hotel the night before he was shot. It was it was all um, fiction, but it was really good. And I, I I contacted her right away and I said I got to do something with your play. I mean, whether I direct it or get it to theater works or whatever. And she was, and so I helped her get it to theater works and got to theater works. And then I, I directed it at a smaller theater and um, I, uh, there are two, it's a, it's an awesome play for two African-American people. Uh, 45 people signed up for the audition and six showed up. Um, and I, I have to be honest. It's like when I heard about how there's no opportunities and, and all this, I'm like, in my experience a few years ago, I had a play for two, two great play for two, two African-American people and six people showed up when there were 45 people on the list. And um, 
But as time went on, I was wondering, maybe because they found out the director was white. Uh, this was right when there was a big hullabaloo on Broadway for a white person directing Fences. It was exactly the same time. So I was like, then when we started rehearsal, I start, I, I told, I did something really stupid with, with them because out of goodwill, but it turned bad. I said, you know, I just, I, cause I was so self-conscious about being white. I, I, when we sat down the first day, I said, you know, I know I'm white, but my, my family were sharecroppers in, in, in Pacifica from Italy. And uh, <laughs> I'm not saying that my experience is the same as you, but I don't, I'm not like a, a wasp, you know, that's been here for a hundred oh. generations. Boy, that pissed them off. And um, the whole, uh, our whole, the, the play was awesome, but there was so much conflict between us for the entire rehearsal after that. And um, it was so bad. I had to bring in a, a woman, a woman from the theater company every night to be, be there to just kind of even things out. Um, I'm not sure why I'm telling you this right now. <laughs> it was, sure. it was just uh, really eye-opening for me, but you know, I made a lot of mistakes. And even after that, I made mistakes. One time the, 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 the woman in the play, she, there was, a, there was a spot where uh, she, she is, a, it turns out she's a ghost and in her private, in her prior life, she was a prostitute. Now, it was obvious to me from the words, but the actress, who was awesome, by the way, she lives in L.A., um, she did not want to believe that. And I was so I actually called Katori Hall in the middle of the rehearsal to ask her if it was true, just so I could prove this actress wrong. Yeah. And um, I, 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 you know, in retrospect, I, be I behaved terribly. Uh, I didn't mean to, but I admit it. I did. And I knew I did. Um, well, that's, that's something that, you know, I yeah. think. And I think that, it was a racial thing. Everybody behaves terribly. And it was we a racial. I will say it. It was a racial yeah. issue in me with me uh, subconsciously. I mean, it got to the point where that's what I was thinking about all the time. Can I tell you something else about theater? Actually, yeah. this, is, this, this is the issue with theater. Is, and nobody wants to say this. But theater is for people who have money. You can't be in theater unless you actually have money. Honestly, honestly. Right, right. And white people have money. I'm sorry. They have more money than ethnic minorities. Yeah. I got lucky. I was living with my grandmother's government apartment. And so I was able to do theater. I couldn't get a job anyway. And so in order to do theater, I got a scholarship with Richard Nicole, right? And I was doing community theater and yeah. whatever, right? So I was able to do it. People can't do community theater. You can't support a family, like, unless you're, like, really high educated, unless you're, like, whatever, like, or have businesses. Yeah. Poor people cannot do theater. They can't go and dedicate every single night for five nights, seven to 11, you know, generally. Yeah. yeah. And pay rent and have kids. And it's, it's, it's a very privileged thing. The whole theater thing is a privilege, thing, especially in the Bay Area. And I'll tell you why, because Bay Area is such high cost of living. And I remember this. The reason why I t went towards stand-up and not toward um, the uh, musical theater, actually, it was a decision point. Music Man. Music Man at Berkeley Playhouse, actually. Because I was doing Harold Hill. And, and it was, it's, a big, it's a big deal. It's a big role in an equity house. I was getting paid equity wages. And I looked at my check and it was like 400 a week. And I'm like, I can't pay rent on this. Yeah. I can't pay rent. 
So you're expected to have another job. Even theater works. Theater works is like what, 800, 800 a week after taxes, like five. You have to have another job. You can't, you cannot sustain yourself <laughs> on right. those wages. Right. It is not. Uh, so they can't just say like, oh, like, well, the race is a problem. Maybe class is a problem. Maybe paying actors a living wage is the problem. Maybe like you no real, except very few exceptions people cannot afford to do theater. And so if they want more minorities to do theater, well, then make it like more wage friendly because most minorities are suffering from under wages. Like we're, we're poor, we're poor. All right. Not we Asians are not poor in the Bay area generally, but um, you know what I'm saying, right? I, I do like, know what you're saying. I mean, you have to, you have to, like, you have to learn your lines. You have to learn if it's a musical, you got to learn your choreography, your songs, you have to be there. You have to be able to get to, th to the theater by seven. You might live an hour away. If you don't have a car, you have to take public transportation, which is horrible in the Bay Area. Good luck with that. Then you get home at like midnight. Then you got to get up and you got to go to work. And then if you got kids uh, and you can't pay the bills and you're poor, how are you going to possibly do it? You can't. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And then you know the theater. I'm so sorry. I'm going off on a rampage. The, the freaking theater companies are like, oh, you're non-equity? $350 stipend for the entire run. I and know. then they turn around and say, we do inclusive casting. We, 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 uh, we want inclusivity. What they mean is we want inclusivity of people who are ethnically diverse who can afford it. Because right. if you can't afford them, we can't have you. But yeah. ethnic minorities can't afford to do theater. I know. So really? <laughs> I know it's 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 an impossible situation. And also, I mean, having been on a board of a theater company, like there's just not the money because um, theater's not attended well enough. Like even even if you get full houses, you can't charge enough in small companies to to cover those costs of being able to pay the actors enough money. It's not uh, their fault. I'm not saying it's their fault. No, right, right. No, I know. It's a little no. It's just, it, it's an impossible situation. Uh, and I don't know the solution. <laughs> My solution was to go into stand-up where there is money. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. And you're very, very funny. I mean, you're hilarious. I, I, I was, I, I, I have to say, I haven't been to one of your stand-up shows, but I'm definitely going to go. I almost went yeah. once with Joanna and something happened and I couldn't make it. Um, very, very funny. So uh, you're friends with Margaret Cho. She lives in, she lives here in the Bay Area, doesn't she? No, she lives here. Oh, okay. She lives I, like three miles from me. I know yeah, she used to be up now. here at one time. Yeah, oh, okay. What's yeah. that? We're friends now. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Very lucky. Yeah, very lucky. Did you know Jimmy Gunn? He passed no. away. It was a comment. Oh, okay. He had gotten out of it for a while. He was funny. He was friends with her for, she knows him. So, um, yeah, Margaret's great. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of Did great I the dreams of all the Bay area people. I'm concerned that like, that like to build a, to build a theater career in the Bay area. All I'm saying is kind of difficult to make a living wage. Oh, it's okay. So, so I've been doing this for a long time and I can tell you the only place I've ever worked where you could make a living wage, but you, you couldn't work there enough to actually make it except for a few weeks was American musical theater, San Jose, because they yeah, had, the, they had the, what's that? 
they shut down. Yeah, and they had, but they had the big WCLO contract. I mean, they paid really well, like Broadway wages. ACT but, is like a thousand, right? Yeah, but that's not even close. I mean, easy to be too. ACT I, pays a thousand dollars a week. That's all. I mean, you can't live Anything. on that. Barely. You can live on that. I know. I know it's crazy. And uh, W American Musical Theater of San Jose paid like two grand a week, and that was uh, you know before just before they went out of business. But that was the only one. There's nothing here in the Bay Area other than the touring companies, and they're all cast out of town. Training, and then you can do, you can tour or get on Broadway or like it's a great place for training. Yeah. But also I made a mistake. Okay. Like if I really wanted to go, if I had any advice for young people who wanted to make a career of this, yeah. like who are listening to this, like I would say like, got to move. <laughs> I would say go to a college that has like a major, the people that I know have made it. They started really young in New York or LA with some kind of connection, or they went to, Carnegie Mellon or Juilliard or what, what have you, you know yeah. what I mean? They kind of went out. Yes. Um, and so I, I took the route of, and it, and it cost me. So what happened was I, I was in the Bay area and I was like, okay, well, after I got, you know, the training for Richard, like around 20, I was like, well, I want to stay here and get my equity card. I want to make sure that I'm, you know, like, I want to make sure that I'm solid. So for three, four years, I did, you know, I, I, did, I studied like, you know, I did the San Francisco Shakespeare. I did like, you know, I trained, I got my equity card, blah, 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 blah. And then I went out there and I realized it doesn't matter to them. <laughs> um, so It doesn't matter to who? To the people casting. Oh, yeah. They don't care to give them all these credits. Right. So... I think what matters more is the connection. If you really intend on making a career, I would say go to New York, go to LA, figure it out, make connections. Absolutely. One job can get you your equity card. And if you know the right people, they can put you on a TV show or whatever. Yeah. But if you want to be like a Bay area actor who's like successful, like Ray, like I think Ray, you know, you're, you're like about as, you're like at the top of the, I would say like of, the, of where you can, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like you're really well-established in the bank. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, you know, but if you're looking to like make a career, do you have another job or do you just do theater? Uh, I just, well, I do some other stuff, but mainly I do theater. I mean, I do piecemeal work for people, but I don't have another job. Yeah. No. And I was I'm doing fine. Uber I and Lyft. Curious, curious. I was in, I was in high tech for a long time, uh, and I was like VP of sales at a software company until I was uh, up until about twenty three years ago, and then I just left it all behind. I got so sick of it. Yeah, but I made enough money to like get a house, and you know, we're we're doing fine. But you know, like you say, I'm one of those people who can afford it. <laughs> I mean, I'll just say it. I mean, I'm not mega rich or anything, but what's that? That's a good story. Like some people, like they work like really hard and like early on, early on, and then they have enough money that they can like. Actually, one of my dreams. That's is what to, I did. Okay, yeah. like, you know my book, right? The, my yeah. book, and actually, like I'm doing an online business. I do like um, wellness shows, wellness comedy shows about emotional well-being and empowerment, blah blah blah. Oh. And uh, for like corporations. Great. And so, what I would love to do, I love theater. So, what I would love to do is do that 
and sell my books and do online coaching then da 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 and what i would love to do is go to different towns and do community theater productions how fun would that be i would love to just live my life doing community theater maybe i'll go back to the bay area and do it for fun that'd be great like maybe it's not money to do that, that, you know i have known a you few what? i've known a few people over the years who've done that not a lot but yeah i love theater it's so fun oh i love it it's so it's awesome like being being in a, a really good play or musical you know and especially like the masterpieces like sweeney todd or if you're like i when i direct I've, I've had i've been able to direct some incredible plays like death of a salesman and mammoth plays mm -hmm. and stuff and they're endless you know it's like it's like this piece of meat that just like you dig into and it just be taste better every you know every night you know it's just uh it never ends it's incredible it's like the human spirit just flourishes and grows and you find yeah uh, it's like shakespeare you know it's just never ends what you can find in there um yeah and it's oh, hard to so explain beautiful. unless you've experienced it it's kind of like looking at a, at a a great painting or sculpture and every time you see look at it you see something different and it, and it just grows on you you know but, so interesting. Yeah. 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 I love it. Uh so um what else? Gosh. Have you yeah, voted? We covered like so much, huh? I know. I, well, I love talking to you. It's, this is great. This is one of the best conversations I've had in a long time. <laughs> um <laughs> yay. I'm glad. I'm so happy. Yeah. 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 Um well, I have to uh I still have to vote. I have my, I have my ballot there, and I filled most of it out. But there's some things I can't figure out what to do, so it just sits there. What, what are the What are the propositions that you're you're? Well, like with? like uh, the big one for me, um, is Proposition Twenty Two about the gig drivers. You know, uh, you know which one I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so so like I've been driving Uber and Lyft and some other kids ones for like five years, very part-time mostly. And um, it's just, I'm just like, I'm torn. It's like, do, do I support the big corporations <laughs> um, who, who also made it just incrementally better for the riders, actually, for the drivers, excuse me, with the proposition, just a little better than leaving it uh, to the AB 50 or five or whatever it is. Uh, or do I go against the big corporations and and uh, for the uh, you know union work and well, what's in your best interest? In my best interest would be to say yes, but then say yes. <laughs> <laughs> in the, no, in, like not just your best interest now. In your best interest overall. Oh, overall, I would say my best interest would be no, because I believe that. Um, most of these jobs, and I see it, are immigrants who are just trying to make it and they work long hours and they deserve to have some security. So that's not your interest. That's their interest. I know, but I feel like I, I feel like my interest is partly to help create a better society. The other thing so that do I you don't think that, that really is the case because if they're if they have to What's to guarantee that those people are going to get paid a fair wage? What's yeah, I know. Actually, it, actually, you're right. It's not good because all that with if you vote no, 
then the the a what is it ab50 or whatever that guarantees minimum wage but actually in california if you're a driver you're gonna and you're doing it right you're gonna make more than minimum wage so it actually might hurt them if i so i think i'm gonna Are vote sure it's not about i just decided <laughs> what yeah. it's not, you, and, this is so hard because i have a little company in the bay area where like i i train people to make bubbles at children's parties yeah okay. and so we have like eight people working there you know and um we pay $65 per party. So it's a great job for flexible. And since the Bay Area went $15 an hour, I can't find good people to want to do this. And so we're trying to raise the prices, but then it's just, it's just and $65 an hour is, is good. Yeah. And plus tip, plus mileage, you know, so people walk away with like $120 a show. That's really good, yeah. But I can't compete with guaranteed eight-hour shifts at Jack in the Box. Right. So as a small business owner, it's tough. Yeah. Because I'm like, okay, like, I can't compete with that. Yeah. And so, you know, there's people who are like, you know, what, what, are, the, what are the rules that they're going to have to follow if they go and do, like, are they going to be able to drive and go, oh, I can pick up, I need to pick up my children, you know? Right. Like, are they going to stop or are they going to be on the hourly? Like, how does this? So this is a business you still have now? Not, well, since coronavirus, not so much. Oh, no, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> oh, God, Ray, Ray, if you, if you, instead of doing that, can you just make bubbles with us? <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, I'm yeah. You can, you can do Zoom because bubble parties. You can't find good people. It's like, they got to have a car. They got to be able to handle 35 minutes of presentation. They got to be good with children. They got to be good with the parents and they got to be responsible and show up on time and not be high all the time. Yeah. So I'm like, that's like, tough. It's like, I can't, I'm like, what do I do? You know? Yeah. 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 Bubbles. We use square bubbles, triangle bubbles, we put kids inside bubbles, bubbles with them. It's so cute. I love, I love that job. It's so cute. I started as a bubble guy. Oh, um, just like, you know, and then, and then I went to the boss and I was like, do you want to expand to the Bay? And he was like, uh, this is LA. And he was like, okay, well you can try. And so I was like, okay. And so like, I took the script up there and I trained a few people and now we have eight, but until Corona. And then now we're not. Do you make like all those fancy bubbles? Like I was in uh, central park in New York when there's guys making these giant bubbles and they do all these strange things. Is that the kind of oh, thing? Yeah. We oh, have cool. like the strings with the, with the stick on it. And it's huge. Yeah. Um, children love it. It's so fun. I loved it. It's so cool. So <laughs> I miss it. I miss doing bubbles. <laughs> hey, who doesn't like bubbles? I, I, I love bubbles. I get a little burnt out. I'm not a really, I don't really like child, young children all that much. I'm great with them, but I, mm. Well, it's so tiring. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh. Remember Lawrence Welk? Turn off the bubble. You might be too young for that. There was this guy named Lawrence Welk. He had a TV show. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And, and he always be like, uh, and there was a bubble machine. Mm-hmm. But you have to Google it. It's hilarious. You'll love it. The Lawrence Welk show. I watched it with my oh, yeah, grandmother. The, the, the bubble machine, the little hay bubbles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so fun. Do you live in SF proper or where do you live? I live in Palo Alto. 
Oh, we're not recording anymore, right? Are we recording? Something? Yeah, it's still recording. Oh, okay, okay. I, I, Palo Alto? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm serious. If you or anybody else you know wants to do this bubble job, please, please. <laughs> It'll have to be please. after COVID though, right? Yeah, after COVID. But yeah. like, I, I'm always desperately looking for bubble people. Like, I'm always desperate. I'm always like, <laughs> <laughs> I had to hire an Instagram model one time oh, and wow. I love her, but she's like, by day, she's like making bubbles. And by night, she's like posting naked photos on Instagram. Oh God. And, you know, I talk about this in my book. She literally leaves me messages like, Boop. hi, Aiden. She talks lower than me. Hi, Aiden. I can't do the three o'clock show because I have a four o'clock shoot and I can't dry out my hands because they need to use my fingers to cover my areolas. <laughs> I'm like, yes, but can you do the seven o'clock? <laughs> That's what Photoshop's for, lady. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> fun. We should exchange numbers. Keep in touch with me, please. For sure. So let's talk wow. about, let's make sure people, everybody know about your book. It's called The Art of Being Yay. Yeah, it's a really empowering book. So it's like um, uh, uh, putting your ha joy and happiness in front of, uh, you know, and anything. Um, and it helps you manage trauma and anxiety. And um, I really encourage people to have like an internal locus of, of control, you know, mm -hmm. and that is the way that you'll be really happy. Because if you're out of, if, if you have to be able to go by what you feel. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know? I love so, that. So, I love that. And uh, right. go to my site, AidenPark.com. There is um, a values worksheet that you can have. So it's like, um, it helps you figure out what your values are in life and then see if you're living in alignment with those values that which are important to you. Great. Um, there's that and all kinds of fun stuff on my website. And I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put it in the notes, the link, Aiden, and to your book on Amazon. It was uh, number one on Amazon, you'd say, for a while? It was number one on Amazon, happiness and grief, which is funny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, number one at the same time on happiness and grief. I'm like, oh. Well, the art of being a cool. Yeah. All right. Um, right on. Thank you. Good talking to you. Good talking to you, too.